0: Good morning, Grace Chapel. If you've got children between preschool age, and they're gone, and uh, fifth grade, head over here to my right, and you will be met and taught and have a ball. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Some more? Here we go. Keep going. D, you going too? All right. Good. Thank you, worship team. Oh, by the way, just a little update, something for you to be praying about, thinking about. Easter is right around the corner. I mean, it, it's coming, and it is a goal. Uh, we are working towards Easter to be back in the auditorium. Yeah, so that's uh, cool. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. So we're, 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 we're focusing in on that. So those of you listening who aren't here because we're not in the auditorium, okay, we're, we're, we're going to get back there. We're, we're, we're working on it. It should happen. God has been so good to us. Um, before we begin this morning, we're, we're in Daniel chapter 7. And before we begin this six-chapter section of prophetic visions, it's just a ton of stuff, and it might even seem a little overwhelming if you've read ahead. It's Daniel, as Ben mentioned, the study guide's available now from chapter 7 through 12. It's all visions for the most part. What I'd like to do before we start this is I'd like to frame the entire book of Daniel with this. And maybe you've already noticed this for yourself in some fashion. There is a pattern and there is a promise theme in every chapter of Daniel. And it's from Genesis to Revelation also. Here's the pattern. Mankind's pride uh, reveals itself in a rebellion against God and it ends in oppressive, unjust Ruling kingdoms, nations, empires. That's the pattern. And it started in Genesis, and we are in the middle of it right now. It it doesn't end. But there's a promise in every one of these chapters God will judge all human pride. In humanity's attempt to rule life, to do it his way, her way, it will end. And it will end with His Son's coming redemptive kingdom. And that's the pattern, and that's the promise. And it's in a phrase, it looks hopeless, but we have hope in God. All right. Ultimately, in these prophetic chapters, uh, even with all the very diverse interpretations oh my i've you know obviously i've been studying and reading and maybe i have a lot more time to do that than you do it is just there's a plethora of stuff out there going as far off into the stratosphere as you want but even with all of those things and that have been offered over hundreds of years this is the theme pattern and promise that is consistent not only with world history as you and I look back and as we live it today, but also with God's redemptive plan of salvation. It's over and over again. It's consistent. The kingdoms of man, the empires of man, they all come and go. None will last forever, but God's kingdom is going to last forever. So as we begin chapter 7 in the book of Daniel, I know that there are many people who are addictively fascinated with prophecy, right? Like they, they, they got to get down every little detail and they got to put everything in its place and dot every I. Um, uh, we, we just have to know, right? Humans just have to know. That's why tabloids sell so well. Um, we just have to interpret every detail completely. But here's the biggest takeaway that you're going to get from me, all right? As we go through all this vision stuff for Daniel together, God will establish his kingdom and it will last forever and that's the overriding theme, all right? So if you can always come back to that, we'll be on safe ground. We'll be on biblical ground. But that leaves a big question. The question that we probably need to ask every week as we meet together and as we discuss this with, uh, uh, in our small groups uh, during each week, do we really long for that kingdom come? I mean really is that where your head's at Uh, does our behavior today in this world with our families with our friends at work with our spouse does it reflect this hope Uh, for some the question is going to be are you even going to be a part of this coming kingdom and for a lot of us it's is our heart locked here in the present or is it being shaped by what's coming in the future Does does our hearts longing for this future that God's going to tell us over and over again about, does it make us better citizens here in the present time? Daniel, we've watched him through six chapters, right? He is a model citizen. Would you agree? He's a model citizen in an oppressive foreign land, right? And he didn't go there um, by his own volition. (laughs) He was taken there. He's a godly prophet. He's a man of unshakable faith. This is what we've seen. And he has been steadfast in his daily walk of fellowship with God. Nothing has changed that through six chapters. Nothing has caused him to panic. That's one thing I noticed. He doesn't freak out when stuff comes down the pipe. Nothing has caused him to depart from his faithful lifestyle as as a Jew. And all the laws that go along with that. Not peer opposition. Not even a king's, as we saw the other week. Not even a king's new law, taking away his religious freedom to worship God for 30 days. Didn't panic. Didn't bother him. And Daniel's first real inner turmoil occurs today in the chapter we're about to read. Since in chapter 7, you see, he gets this revelation from God. If you've read ahead in, in, in his sleep, he sees this vision and it discloses future events that are coming. And Daniel finds it most troubling. Two times in chapter 7, he speaks of his distress. Verse 15 As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me. We haven't really seen this before. <clears throat> and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And in verse 28, at this point, the revelation ended. And as for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me and my face grew pale. I lost the color, the blood drained from my head, but I kept the matter to myself. So let's see what caused Daniel, who so far we've seen is a rock, what caused him to be a little shaken? Verse one, start. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. We've seen Belshazzar before, right, in his last year, the night he lost his life when he was conquered by the Persians. So this is 14 years before the events of chapter 5 and 6 that we just did together over the last two weeks. This is kind of a prequel, those of you into Marvel comics, okay, so this is a prequel um, going back in time. Babylon has not been conquered by the Persians yet. So Daniel then, during this time, sees a dream and visions of his... Of his head as he lay in his bed. And it doesn't rhyme like that in the Hebrew, by the way, it's just, just English. Then he wrote down the dream and he told the sum of the matter. So I'm going to break it down. We're just going to look through the first part of the chapter and look at the vision of the future world from Daniel's point of view. And then we'll get into the interpretation, at least as much as we can know later in the chapter. So, first of all, there are these four beasts. Key word here is beast, all right? So, I mean, I went online and like there are so many crazy pictures of all these. I thought this was the calmest. (laughs) Some of them are like, I'm like, I don't know what the thing is with dinosaurs, but the fourth beast was like um, T-Rex in almost every one of them. It was like a little T-Rex with claws. It was, (laughs) so I spared you. And so you just got, I I thought these were pretty good. The dragon. So verses uh, two through eight, here's the four beasts. Daniel declared... I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So there's this disruption, there's this movement, and it's being caused by what? The four winds of heaven. Who's in control? Just. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then I looked, and its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, this is the second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. And after this, I looked and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And and the beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions and behold, a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong it had great iron teeth We heard we heard that material before it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet it was different it was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns and i considered the horns and behold there came up among them another horn a little horn before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes. This is freaky, right? And behold, there were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. A vision. How about a nightmare? (laughs) What, What did you eat, Daniel? I mean, because it's bad pizza. And then there is this ancient of days. It comes in the destruction of this hor- horrific fourth beast in verses 9 through 12. And the scene shifts. And I looked, and thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And I looked then, because the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed. Boom, just like that. And its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beast's, Their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then next in the vision comes this son of man, one like the son of man in his kingdom. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of the heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him, this son of like a man. Uh, to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So, and after this, Daniel is vexed. So he seeks out help in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. The visions of my head alarmed me. So I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and he made known to me the interpretation of the things. Here we go. Verse 17. These four great beasts are four kings. Who are the beasts? Four kings. Who will arise up out of the earth. So Daniel probably assumed that much. I'm thinking because he's the one who had interpreted King Nebuchadnezzar's dream back in chapter 2. Remember that statue? Yeah, that showed the order, and the, the, the statue there in that dream um, had somewhat similar characteristics of a consecutive order of coming kingdoms. And there were, there were the four back then, these world empires. There was Babylon, and then there was the Medio-Persian Empire, then there was Greece, and then this crazy fourth empire, just like we have here. Verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. So just like in chapter 2, the end remains the same. That doesn't change, right? Mankind's rule, mankind's power over this present earthly system is eventually taken down one day. And every vision you ever see in the Bible ends this way. But Daniel, probably also like you and I, really wants to know who is that horrible, mysterious fourth beast. So remember Daniel, and I've got, I think I have a map coming up for this, but Daniel is living at a time when Babylon, this is, just, this is the time of Daniel, you see on the map here, and Babylon's the green. It's clearly the first beast, and Daniel gets that. He was told that back in chapter 2. It's in the identity of the next three are a mystery to Daniel. Because this is way before the Medes and Persians uh, really get things going. They're only beginning to rise up and become powerful and to flex their muscles to the south and to the east. And Greece, Greece is just a blip on the radar screen at this point. It's hundreds of years yet to go before Alexander takes over. But it's the fourth kingdom that really gets to Daniel, is his main attention. And starting in verse 19, He hears about it, then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. And at this point, Daniel gives us some more details from the dream that he hasn't given us already, that he left out earlier, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, in which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns. That were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. The horn that had the eyes and the mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war. This little horn. It made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints. Whenever you see the word, I don't know if your translation says saints. This is uh, ESV up on the screen here that I'm, that I'm using. It's Hebrew, holy ones. That's what, every time you see the word saints, it's holy ones. It, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you are a saint, right? Like you don't have a statue. I'll show you that. You're not going to get one. Sorry. Right? You're a saint and you're a, say it. begins with an H. Holy one. Do you feel like it? Okay, that's not the point. <laughs> You're a holy one. And that's, holy one can in, in, in scripture can refer to anyone, anyone at all who has been set aside by God for God. It can be an angel and it can be a human. The context determines which ones we're talking about here. So these are the saints, it says here in uh, verse 22, of the most high, saints of the most high. And the time came when the holy ones, the saints, possessed the kingdom. And the one standing there gives them an interpretation concerning the fourth beast. Verse 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast. Okay, we finally got there. There shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth. It's going to be different from all the other kingdoms. And it will devour the whole earth. It will trample it down. It will break it into pieces. This fourth beast that Daniel's hearing about is unique than any other kingdom or empire that has ever been in its ability to conquer and then to destroy. And this is the main reason, for those of you who have read and maybe you've read some of your, the books that go along with this and you've seen the charts, this is the main reason, I don't think, that the Holy Roman Empire completely fulfilled this. I don't think that's what it is. But we'll get into that in later chapters. Verse 24. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings are going to arise. And another shall arise after them. That will be that little horn. And he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. Verse 25, he shall speak words against the Most High. He will wear out the holy ones, the saints. He will wear us out. And he shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand. He's going to be allowed to do this for a time, times, and half a time. Usually interpreted, as we'll see, especially as we get into chapter 8 and following, as three and a half years. The little horn that we're reading about here, this dominating king of this horrible coming world empire, is going to wage war against God himself and oppress all those who are gods. His holy ones. But like every other kingdom, every other empire, every other nation on earth, there will also be an end, an end to this fourth beast, beast and the beginning of God's everlasting kingdom. Verse 26, but the court shall sit in judgment. You see, judgment day is coming. We get little glimpses of it here and there, even in our own personal lives, as we're held accountable for our actions and our thoughts and what we've done. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, to the holy ones. Wow, what a privilege. His kingdom, the Most High's kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. I mean, this is like a lot to take in. And my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So Daniel's visibly shaken by this dream, this vision experience. And while the interpreter's explanation of the vision clarifies its general meaning, meaning for us, you know, um, especially in light of what you and I have that Daniel didn't have. We have hindsight, right? We have world history. We've got records of empires that have come and gone and how it happened. It still leaves a lot of questions unanswered, right? Right? And we, we don't hear as a practice set dates or name names Or do any of that kind of stuff that sometimes is popular. But here's a couple questions where I'm sure you also realize we need extra information to answer the questions to assist us in considering the meanings of what Daniel is is hearing here. And it's going to help us so much as we go into next week in chapter 8 and as we go into the following uh, chapters as we build on what we know. So the first question. Why are the beasts, this might not be a question you had, by the way, why are the beasts depicted as arising out of the sea? Do you remember that? That's the very first thing, right out of the gate. The, the four winds of heaven stir up the sea, and out of the sea comes these four beasts. Well, the background for that kind of imagery, it was no, no big deal for Daniel to figure out for sure, but the background of that imagery Uh, was well known in the day of Daniel. It's rooted in mythology, and for Daniel, it's rooted in the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament. In mythology, which played a role in Daniel's life and his present culture, the god of the sea rebelled against the high god Baal, or some of you might say Baal, Baal. So the sea in that day is where rebellion it symbolizes rebellion where it takes place. It's pictured as coming from. In the Hebrew Bible, we find, especially in the Psalms and other places, the sea is often symbolized as the place of chaotic forces that raise up their fists in anger and they seek to destroy God and they seek to destroy God's creative order and his covenant children, the nation of Israel. So it's no surprise that these destructive forces, these monstrous kingdoms all rise out of the sea. That's back to the pattern theme, remember? It's pattern, promise, pattern, promise. That's the pattern. Stuff, all this chaos that comes from you and I as humans. Second question, do we know the precise identity of these four kingdoms? What do you think? Well, that's like asking if Brady or Holmes was going to win the Super Bowl before they played the game. Before the game is played, was played, everybody predicted who was going to win. But what had to happen? The game had to play out to find out who was going to win. And like many others, I'm going back to Daniel chapter 2 on this one for the interpretation. And I want to keep these four beasts in the context of the book of Daniel. I want to keep them in the context of the Bible as a whole and in, in line to how world history has already played out, and we can clearly see. So with that said, Babylon is the lion. Perhaps the removal of the wings, I don't think perhaps, I think it's kind of obvious. There's the transformation of the lion, who we know was Nebuchadnezzar, right, from the statue, of the golden head. And he was, what happened to him? He went nuts, and he acted like a wild beast, an animal, exactly. And then God restored him and he got back onto two feet, like, uh, and he restored him from his animal-like condition. That was back in chapter 4. So the bear-like creature is who's coming down the pipe, and that's the Medio-Persians empire. And the ribs are in their mouth, and it symbolizes how they just devoured the nations, which is what they did. And the third beast, this winged leopard, perfect symbol for the kingdom of Alexander the Great, the Greece kingdom. He's famous For his rapid conquest. By the time he's in his late twenties, he'd already conquered most of the known world. And then he died. And that's where the four heads come in, because the four heads are so nicely representative of the four generals who took over his empire and divided it up and then battled with each other over it um, that came out of that. And that's gonna we're gonna look at that in chapter eight, so I'll leave that. So you got the first three, and I think it's pretty conclusive. If Greece is the third Empire then the fourth kingdom if you're following the logic and the rollout would most likely be its successor which was yeah so Pete what's wrong with you I mean can't you see this I mean it's, it's the Roman Empire right and and there's many many people and I'm totally fine we can still be friends and have lunch together because it's not that important right the ends important Are you in the kingdom that's important and some naturally think it's the roman empire but i'm more inclined to see it as a yet to come end time world power that has been forming since the beginning of creation and is forming as we worship today it's going to be like the roman empire but a nightmare so, Daniel's given a vision of things that are and things that will be. And recorded history bears a really strong witness to the fulfillment of these first three already. But it's this fourth kingdom that a ton of books and a million sermons, I'm adding one more today, have bounced around for centuries. So, we'll grow in this understanding together, okay? And I'm totally open. For conversation as we go through more of the visions so last last two questions number three who specifically are the ten horns on the fourth beast and especially this wild little horn that sprouts up among them well there's a lot of interpretations and you can go google it and spend the next week reading all the different permeations of that we'll get into that i'm not going to answer it we'll get into that in the next coming chapters because that's where daniel really gets some crazy visions about this little horn but for now i believe it's safe to say to rest in the fact that the identity of this little horn is none other than the figure whom the bible calls the antichrist the antichrist john the apostle longest living apostle in 1 John in that little letter chapter 2 verse 18 640 years after Daniel's vision writes children it is the last hour this is 2,000 years ago from us it is the last hour and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming as a matter of fact so now many antichrists have come therefore we know that it's the last hour Paul 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 3 through 9 refers to an individual who has yet to appear as the man of lawlessness John again the same John the Apostle in the book called the Revelation of Jesus Christ the last book of the Bible in verse 13 he pictures antichrist guess what as a beast that exhibits the same level of hostility to God and to God's people, His holy ones, as the little horn of Daniel chapter 7 does. And we'll discover that over and over again in the next couple chapters. So there's lots more questions, but it's the fourth one, the last one, this last question, at least for me, I sense this is the most significant question for us this morning. Who is the Ancient of Days? Because that's all that matters. Who wins in the end of the story? The Ancient of Days. Because that's the end of the story. It's in every vision. The Ancient of Days is the Most High God. Our God and Father in Heaven. To whom we who know Him pray unceasingly that His kingdom come. He's portrayed here as the sovereign king of the world who's granted authority to humankind to run things like they really own things for a while. And he pronounces judgment against this little horn, and he gives authority to rule to the real ruler, the one like the Son of Man. Humans are given this authority to rule, but it's temporary. What we're doing today is temporary. It's not going to last. And it's interesting, I find this real interesting, that in the mythology of Daniel's day, their supreme god, his name was El, E-L. And he's called the father of years in mythology, the ancient of days. There's all these copycats always going on with God. And in the myths, guess what El does? He gives the authority to rule this planet to this high god named Baal, B-A-A-L. And also look at the phrase in in verse 13. With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Guess what Baal's handle was? His nickname, writer of the clouds. See, often in Scripture, God does this. He, He has His inspired writers pen phrases that actually mock the mythology, the philosophies, the vain thinkings of humankind of the day. He does this over and over in the Bible. Oh, your God rides the clouds, does he? My God, Yahweh, he created the clouds. And actually, you got it wrong. Yahweh's son will ride the clouds one day. Not you. Oh, El gave Baal authority to rule the entire world, did he? Yahweh has a deliverer coming to whom all authority over everything has been given. All there is is his. You got nothing. Did you notice that there is this obvious human-like appearance of the real ruler? He's one like what? Son of man. And how sharply that contrasts with the animal-like beasts depicted as the false rulers of this planet. And his arrival in the clouds of heaven contrasts with the earlier beasts who arise out of the sea. Our Savior, our Master, Jesus Christ, when challenged by the high priest about who he really was at his trial, appropriated this title for himself. He quotes Daniel. The last words at his trial And he says that he will come like the figure described in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. It's in Matthew 26. And let me start reading in verse 63. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. He didn't know who he was talking to, did he? I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but let me tell you something. From now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then, when he heard that quote from Daniel, the high priest tore his robes. And he said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? Now you have heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, He deserves death. And then they spit, In his face, and they struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? For the religious elite of Jesus' era, that prophecy from Daniel did it. That was the last straw. Because they all know knew who Daniel was prophesying about. He was prophesying about the coming Messiah the Anointed One, the One like the Son of Man. And so they mocked Him after He said it for making such a prophecy about Himself. And then they turned Him over to be crucified. Let's end our worship this morning by looking to the future and read how this same appearance was envisioned to the Apostle John in Revelation 19. I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Why don't you, let's all stand together, and I'm going to read it, and then we're going to move right into worship and song. And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself, and he's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is not how Daniel's world envisioned the end. It was and it still is today all about power. It's all about influence. It's all about control. It's about creating a false sense of peace and tranquility that we really are in charge and that we really are evolving and getting better. This this misconceived idea that if we can just truly and freely do and have whatever we want, the way we want, captured by the phrase, just be true to yourself, with no acknowledgement of a creator God. And then we're told we'll have arrived and we'll be where we need to be in our utopia. But you see, as it says here, it's His kingdom come, not our kingdom come. It's his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not ours. May we be faithful with what we have been asked and tasked to do as God's holy ones as we wait for Jesus Christ coming on the clouds. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, the author and finisher of our faith. To you, all glory, honor is due. To none other do we bow our knee. And for your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the salvation he's brought to so many of us, we pray that you might uh, enlighten us this week to seek out those who need to hear that you have called, to share with them this good news, hope in the midst of turmoil and confusion. And God, we thank you. And now we praise your name in song. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.